Good morning. Good to see all of you. I'm just for looking for some familiar faces. I can see some. Yeah, it's good to be here. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here for preaching for my first time. Um, so yeah, as a typical Brazilian guy, I love soccer. That's all I know. I've been playing soccer since I was, I don't know, four or five years old. And um, I watch all kinds of uh, championships from Brazil to England to Africa, anywhere. Um, so, but I'm even more excited than, than being a Brazilian and, 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 and playing soccer and is to share God's word and, 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 and be called to serve as, as a pastor. Um, so it's just a pleasure to be here this morning. So before we, we, we dive into this text and I share some things with you from this text, I just pray and ask the Lord for help. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we, we are a needy people, Lord, and we are before a king who is worthy of all praise, as we just sang. We are before a king who deserves all glory and honor in our total and undivided devotion. So we ask you, Lord, please speak into our hearts this morning. Holy Spirit, help me to communicate your word and apply it to the hearts of your people. Bring transformation, Lord. Lord, we ask these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. So, um, let me ask you this. What is the greatest and most important legacy that a, that a God leader can leave on earth? A paid-off church building? Uh, a decent savings account that will allow the church to buy a, a larger property or to buy a building or to renovate the old one or to update? Perhaps the more spiritual of us would say uh, that the legacy of a pastor might be a church that reproduced itself, meaning a church that planted other churches or a church that had sent out missionaries. What do you think? What is the legacy of a godly leader? What is the greatest legacy that a godly leader can leave on earth? Well, paying off the church's debt, buying a building, seeking to grow the church, renovate the building, all that kind of stuff is good. They're not wrong in itself, and we, at some extent, as pastors... And leaders should pursue those things. No? We want the church to grow, right? We don't want our church to be in debt. But the question remains, what is the greatest legacy that a godly leader can leave here on earth? So I asked these questions to one of my seminary professors, uh, Chuck Lawless, and, and this is his answer. This is what he said on the email. I would argue it's a next generation of faithful followers of Jesus Christ who will do greater things than the leader has ever done. And I love his, what he said because he's saying his legacy, the legacy of a godly leader has everything to do with his people. 
everything to do with his people. And that's the legacy of a kingdom-minded leader, is his people. It's not church building. Not even a, a, a church that planted other churches. That's, that's great. We want to do this. We want to reproduce. But the legacy of God the leader is his people right here, right now, in the next generation that he's preparing to take leadership in the future. So I intend to show you this morning that the greatest legacy of a pastor is direct linked to his people. And we're going to see this in the text. But let me give you some context so that you can situate yourself in this narrative. Now, after decades of waging war of the surrounding nations and, and, and enlarging Israel's borders, David, in, in the last years of his reign, he rested from war. In chapter 22, the Arasis just read, we see this speech of an experienced leader who is about to pass the crown to the next king in line, his son, Solomon. These words are from a man who walked with God through the up and downs of life, who learned that the God requires obedience, not sacrifice. In the book of Psalms, we see David's heart and his view of God. In the Psalms, Dave depicts God as not as a theological concept, but as a person that one can relate to. The book of Psalms is awesome as we see the, the emotions and the feelings of the psalmist portrayed in, in the Psalms and how he's talking to God and wrestling with God. And you can only do that to a person. And we see David exposing his heart and showing to us that God is a person. Not just a theological concept far away from us. No, he's close by to his people. In fact, he's living in each and every one of us who had placed our faith in him. Well, back to our passage, specific to the book of Chronicles. We see that this book was written to the post-exilic community. This book was written to the Israelites who came back to Israel after 70 years of captivity in Babylon. And when they came back to Israel, they saw a land totally different when they left. They saw Israel destroyed, the walls of Jerusalem destroyed, the temple was burned to the ground. When they left, everything was awesome. They had this huge, gigantic temple that Solomon built. When they come, came back, that temple was a heap of ashes and ruins. and They came to a desolate land. And when they came back, this time they had no king. They're vassals of the king of Babylon. And the place that they used to gather to worship God no longer exists. It is to these people coming back to this reality that the book that the, the, the writer of, of Chronicles is writing to. And I want you to understand because that, so they understand the, the, the heaviness of, of what he's trying to communicate in this passage, in this book, and specifically in chapter 22. The wealthy and beautiful Jerusalem is nothing but an abandoned and empty city. 
It is to these people that the, the, the writer is, 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 is showing this, this text. And his purpose is to encourage them. To encourage them to begin the reconstruction of the temple. And we see the prophet Habakkuk and Haggai. We see Ezra and Nehemiah all joining in this work. And, and, and the purpose of the writer is to give to these people a big picture of God's plan. A big picture. To give them hope. To show them that God is, is still at work. He's still at work. It is, as, it is as, as if the author is saying to them, do not be afraid or discouraged. Remember God's covenant with David. And we see this in chapter 17. First Chronicles chapter 17. An entire book dedicated to as, as the, 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 the author reminds the people of the covenant that God made with, with David. He's reminding the people they are hopeless in face of this work that they have to do. That the Lord is not yet done with them. God is still with his people. If they only obey and be faithful to him, he will bless their work and efforts. In 1 Chronicles chapter 22, let's go back here. Let's consider David's thought about the next king, Solomon, before coming to the throne. Look in verse 5. Verse 5. Chapter 22, verse 5. For David said, Solomon, my son, is young and inexperienced. And the house that is to be built for the Lord must be exceedingly magnificent of fame and glory throughout all lands. I will therefore make preparation for it. So David provided materials in great quantity before his death. As a wise leader, David knew that Solomon's task of building the temple was difficult. And because he was young and inexperienced, he would need help. And David made sure to make preparations before his death so that the next king in line, his son, would have something to start this monumental project. And the first thing that I want to share with you this morning is that the legacy of a kingdom-minded leader involves labors and arduous work. It is hard work. And look how David talks about his own work in verse 14. Verse 14, with great pains, with great pains, I have provided for the house of the Lord 100 talents of gold and million talents of silver and bronze and iron beyond waiting. For there's so much of it, timber and stone too, I have provided. And then he tells to Solomon, to this you must add. We're talking about tons of gold and tons of, of, of bronze and timber Tons of material to start this construction project. So sensing the urgency to start this project, by working diligently, David left Solomon a legacy, something that he could start this project. And his, David's legacy for his son was labors and costly. With great pains, he provided for it. He understood that 
that even though he was not chosen to build this temple, he is still part of God's plan to help to build this temple. And he made sure to provide, to make some preparations for it. You see how he understood the big plan? He wanted to do it. The Lord said, no, you, your son. Well, anyway, I'm going to provide for it. I'm going to make preparations. Because my son is young and experienced. He will need help. He's a kingdom-minded leader. He's thinking about the next generation. He's thinking about the kingdom. He's not just thinking about himself. He's thinking about how can I make God's people just to thrive and grow and, and the kingdom of God on earth to continue to move on and his name to be glorified. This is the mind of a kingdom, of a, of a godly man, a godly leader. He's not just concerned for here and now. He's thinking ahead. He knows that life is short. So we must work diligently. And David's legacy for his son, as he said, was the result of decades of wars, endless military campaigns, camping on the, under the elements, sleepless nights. David wanted to build the temple, but God said, no, not you, your son. You have shed too much blood. You had played your part in this. You have played your role. Your son will build the temple. And, did, and, and even though the Lord said to him, no, you're not supposed to do this. Did, this no from the Lord did not hinder David from, from making preparations and working hard. To make sure that the next one in line would succeed. He want his son to succeed. Why? For the glory of God's name. For the glory of this great God that we see in the book of Psalms. This worthy king. As I said, David knew that God is a person that one can relate to. And he knew that God is concerned for his glory. He's concerned for his name. Friends, leadership that causes impact and inspire others requires hard work. And we know this, whether you were a pastor, an elder in this church, a deacon, or, or, or you were a business owner. When you inspire the people that are working under your authority, you must give an example, you must work hard and diligently. How much more we as pastors and leaders... We have to work hard. And, and, and don't get me wrong, work hard does not necessarily mean to spend endless hours in the church. But for a pastor, for a leader in the church, to work hard means to pray, means to, means to seek God's face, means to seek holiness in all areas of life. We want to impart to our people not only theological knowledge. We want to give to our people God. We want to say, we want to, say to our people and point, and there is a true God in Him you must look at to Him. But of course, we need to give it as an example. And if you're not pursuing Him, if you're not after Him, how can we tell our people to do that? And this requires us to kill the self on a daily basis and sacrifices after sacrifices. 
few months ago, I watched some videos from uh, Kobe Bryant in his interviews. We all know that he passed, Kobe, um, and uh, he passed away in 2020, unfortunately, at the age of 42. And um, I'm going to raise a controversy, and I hope that this will not divide the church. Some say that Kobe Bryant was the best bas basketball player ever. Others will say Michael Jordan. I will not dive deep, deep into this controversy. I will leave it to you guys and then you talk to the pastor. First of all, I don't understand nothing about basketball. So who am I, who am I to say anything? Yeah, so, but anyway, and just watching some of his interviews, Kobe Bryant, and he was just talking about his insane workout routine since he was in high school, right? His preparation just insane, insane, really, I, insane workout routine. And he said that he did that because he was seeking to be the best player ever. He wanted to be the best player ever. That's why he went through all this crazy workout routine and practicing and practices. And, and after being this greatest player and he had a career of 20 years playing the same team. He came to the realization that it was not enough for him to be the best player ever. His team needed to play with him. So he said that later in his career, he became more concerned to help his teammates to become the best players that they could be. And he said that his focus, focus changed in helping his teammates to grow. And as they grow, they, they won together. So he changed his focus in, 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 from just putting attention in himself and then thinking about the whole team. And of course, it's a collective sport, right? What is the good that you are the best player in the worst team? It makes no sense. He took in some time, but he realized that. He started investing in his teammates. And they became a great team. And the truth is that this, the legacy that will inspire others in any field requires this artist's work, as I said. And, then, and we see many videos of Kobe uh, giving this motivational speaking, right? And speeches in universities and in so many other places. But just thinking about this, unlike Kobe, who worked hard during his 20-year career in search of personal glory and fame, right, and, 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 and wealth... Leaders in the church are called to work hard for the glory of another. And our labor benefits others. So there is something that we can learn from Kobe in the sense that it's not enough for us to, to be the best player. We don't want to be the best pastor. We want, we want to be the best pastor in the sense of shepherding our people well. We must be concerned with our people. We want to be concerned for the kingdom of God. We must be aware of the redemptive history and God's plan, plan for his church. And we want to encourage and help our people to grow. Friends, leadership and shepherding are labors and arduous and work. And listen, I'm sure that the elders of this church, they do not need a young and experienced pastor like me to tell them this. 
However, I want to remind you, fellow elders, that your example before your people, the ears of your faithful ministry and pastoral care, is one of the greatest legacies that you can leave on earth. That you can leave to your people. It is okay if you could not build the, the church building you once dreamed about or have the large property that you once wanted. It does not matter. As long as we are being faithful to our call and preach the gospel, that matters. That matters. David also could not build the temple he desired. But with, but with his strength, he made provisions so that the next in line will build the temple and continue God's work. As leaders in the church today, we should strive to be faithful so that those who will come after us may have a clear picture in us of what it means to be faithful in ministry. Walk through the up and downs of life and be faithful. We must have a well-trodden path for our people to walk on as they come after us. They know what they're supposed to do. Our legacy as leaders is directly linked to our people. And, be, and, and know this, fellow elders and, and deacons and brothers and sisters. You can be sure that the sacrifices that you made and you continue to make on a daily basis are not in vain. The sacrifices that you make along with your families, with your children, your wives, are not in vain. Your work and your lives are important for this church in the kingdom of God in His redemptive plan. So brothers, press on despite the weariness and demands and remember, remember that our king rewards the faithful and diligent. Remember faithfulness and diligence. The second thing that I want to share with you this morning is that the legacy of a kingdom-minded leader, in fact, is the legacy of the church, which is discipleship or discipling others. This is the second outline that I want to share with you. And this is no, I just want to remind that discipleship or discipling others or making preparations, equipping others, right, to come after us, to do the work that we have been called to do and for them to do the work that they have been called to do. It's not, this work is not exclusively the work of the pastors and leaders, but all of you. This is your work. If you're a member of this church, this is your work. Discipling, discipleship, this is your work. It does not matter how old you are. It does not matter for how long you have been a member of this church. This is your work. Don't look to your pastors and think because they have been through seminary and, and, and formal studies and, and training and they have been ordained that this is exclusively their work because it's not. It's a wrong way of thinking. Discipleship, making preparations, equipping the next generation is your work. 
in verse 17 to 19, David charged the rulers and leaders of Israel to give their allegiance and obedience to Solomon. David charged the people and his son to set their minds and hearts to seek the Lord and work together to build the temple. For what? For the glory of God's name. For the glory of God's name. David encouraged them, challenged them all together. Work. Look in chapter 22, verse 13, how David encouraged Solomon. He says, Seek the Lord, be strong and courageous. Do not fear, nor be dismayed. And still in chapter 28, verses 20, he said, David to Solomon again, Be strong and courageous and do it. Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. For the Lord, even my God, is with you. He will not leave you or forsake you until all the work for the, serve, the service of the house of the Lord is finished. So in this, in this verse, we see David encouraging Solomon. The truth is that God the leaders know that one of the ways that we can help others is through encouragement, especially, especially the next generation. And we see this in the older people, right? How they are so always encouraging. And we young tend to be always harsh. <laughs> I know my, my own generation, we have this issue. Still working on this. But you see older people, they have this tendency to, to, to encourage you because they know that you can conquer, you can do more through encouragement. And look at how the Lord, look how the Lord encouraged Joshua to take the leadership after Moses. Think about this. Moses, this great leader who led the people and did these wonderful miracles. Now he passed away and Joshua was called to serve and, and to take the leadership after Moses. Think about his mind and just looking. How can I lead these people looking to Moses who was this great and awesome leader who, 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 who had experiences with the Lord that no one has ever had. The Lord knew that Joshua would need encouragement. The task was great. He understood that he was called. But he was afraid. He was timid. And look how the Lord himself encouraged him. Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. And do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. This is the Lord through Moses speaking to him, right? Just to clarify. Um, but then we see the same, the same idea in the New Testament. We see the same idea, Paul in his letters to Timothy. And I've, I just finished the, a series of preaching in the book of Timothy uh, last month. In 1 Timothy, and I will start the 2 Timothy next month. So, and as I've been studying both of these letters, we see Paul encouraging Timothy. In Timothy, he was young and fearful. He was timid. His personality was timid. And in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12, we see Paul encouraging him to fight the good fight of faith, to engage the battle, 
to train himself for godliness. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 6, he challenged the young pastor to fan into flame the gift of God that was given to him to serve the church. In both letters, Paul is encouraging Timothy and challenging him to use his gifts to, to serve the church. Friends, if you're a disciple of Jesus, if you consider yourself a disciple of Jesus, we all need to be encouraged and challenged in our walk of the Lord. We all need both. We need to be encouraged, but we need to be challenged. Because as human beings, we have this tendency of feeling comfortable in where we are. We don't like to be challenged. We don't like to do things that we feel uncomfortable in doing it, in taking new challenges, having to learn new skills. We don't like these things by nature. And by nature, we, when we think about God's plan and what he has called us to do, we, we tend to feel discouraged when we look to what we have to do and how hard the, the work is. So we need both. We need encouragement and we need to be challenged. So I want to encourage you today, in your weaknesses and failures, to be more dependent on Jesus and his grace and the enabling power of the Holy Spirit. Do not neglect the Holy Spirit. You know that we sometimes, it, it, it's, it's part of our nature to be afraid and fearful. But the Lord has given us his Holy Spirit to empower us and equip us to do his work. He has given his Spirit to equip you to do his work. Whatever he has called you to do. He has given you His Spirit, not your strength, not your knowledge, not your will, not what you know, but His Spirit. We must not neglect the Spirit of God. He equipped the call. In a call, they equipped. The Lord equipped those whom He called to His service. He's not looking after how skillful you are, how knowledge you are, or how many degrees you have. Let me tell you this, this does not matter in God's kingdom. If he calls you to serve, he will keep equip you with his Holy Spirit. And will give all the resources you need to do his work. Let us not neglect the Holy Spirit. I want to encourage you, do not neglect the Holy Spirit. Trust on him, depend more on him. Learn what it means to pray more, intercede more. Don't make just a prayer something that you just pray before you take, you eat. Don't, don't let prayer just be periphery in your life, but bring it in in every area of your life. Make it part of your, your spiritual disciplines to pray more and seek more of the enabling power of the Holy Spirit. But I also want to challenge you to step out of your comfort zone. And stir up the gift that God has given you to serve his people. Stir up. As, as Paul said to Timothy, in some versions says, um, kindle afresh the gift that God has given you. Like he knew that Timothy understood that he, was, he had received this gift of the Holy Spirit to serve. And he's saying, stir up, faint into flame this gift. Step out of your comfort zone. 
Serve God's people. It's not time for us to be sitting comfortably in our seats and just watching others doing work when there's so much work to doing God's kingdom. If you have been saved, my friend, you have no excuse because you have received the Holy Spirit. The one who will require from you it's not your pastor, ultimately, but the Lord himself. If he is worthy, as we just sang, do you fear that? You should have a trembling fear of this all-consuming God who called you, who saved you to his service, to his glory. And your joy is linked to your worship of him, your life of worship of him and service. The joy that we all seek in life is linked to your worship of Jesus and service to Him. And we pastors, we play a crucial role in encouraging and challenging our people. However, our people, and especially the next generation, need more than encouragement and, and challenges. Our people, they need our prayers. What is good if I'm just coming here and encourage you and challenge you and not praying for your soul? What is good for your pastors and for leaders if you are coming here and preaching every Sunday and we're not praying for your souls? Look how David prayed for, for Solomon. First Chronicles chapter 19, verse 20 to 19. He's praying for the next king. Look what he says. O oh Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our fathers, keep forever such purposes and thoughts in the hearts of your people and direct their hearts toward you. Grant to Solomon, my son, a whole heart that he may keep your commandments, your testimonies, your statutes, performing all that he may build the palace for which I have made provision. What a short and powerful prayer. Grant my son a heart that he may keep your commandments. David interceded for his people and for Solomon, that they may have a heart after God. Before his death, David painfully made the preparations, encouraged Challenged and prayed and prayed for the next king. Like David, we are called to equip, encourage, challenge, and pray for each other and for the next generation. This is your call, church. This is my responsibility as an elder, and I will be required of it. But know this. That you have been called to pray for your brothers and sisters. To encourage and challenge them in their walk with the Lord. It is not exclusively for pastors or kings. For all of us. David took pains. He worked hard to ensure that the next king would not only have something to start the construction of the building, the, the temple. But to make sure that he would succeed in his task. 
Friends, we want the kingdom of God, and the kingdom of God will succeed, but we want our brothers and sisters to succeed in what they have been called to do. And they need your prayers. Your pastors, in fact, need your prayers. We're no longer, we are living in a post-Christian world. Let's just come to that understanding. We are the minority as believers. It's time for us to wake up. It's not time for us to stay in our comfort zone anymore. It's not time for us to depend on our own knowledge. We live, especially in the Northeast, we live in a place where Christianity is the minority. We are the minority. We need to understand we live in a post-Christian world. It is time for us to, make, to prepare ourselves for the times that are coming. We are living hard times. I don't need to tell you this. But I'm reminding you this. How do you think that we are going to thrive in the future if you're not encouraging, challenging each other, and praying for each other? And your leaders, they need your prayers. Is this not... Is this not what you're trying to do here as a church? To bring glory to God's name? Is this not the goal of all your efforts to glorify Jesus? And how can you do this? How can you do this? Well, first and foremost, living a life of worship to Jesus. And then, like I said before, we engage the great commission commanded by Jesus. To disciple and preach the gospel. A discipling church... A church that is concerned to disciple each other and disciple the next generation is a God-glorifying church. You glorify God when the more mature believers disciple the immature or the new believers. When the more seasoned families with kids disciple the family with younger kids who are struggling. You see, discipleship happens within the body and should happen in a natural way. Not, not always in an informal, but sometimes, most of the times, in fact, informally. And leaders glorify God when they are intentionally discipling and investing in others. Friends, I think by nature we are good in criticizing. I, I know about me. We are very good in criticizing, Right? But let me say, oh, this only criticism for what is wrong or what could be better is not the answer. Only criticism is not the answer. Regardless of how accurate they are. A well-intended and timely criticism is good and we all need this. I'm not saying that we do not. We need well-intended Timely criticism. We all need this. However, criticism without love, genuine love and encouragement is destructive, not constructive. The best criticism that I have received came from people whom I knew loved me deeply. And they were always preceded by sincere and genuine encouragement. Because they were concerned for my soul. They know that I, want, that I need to grow. So therefore, they encouraged me first. And then they said, oh, this is what's going on. I think you should work on this area. You know. Or sometimes they're so quick to criticize. 
In my few years of ministry, I noticed that some of the hard critics in the church also have an expectator-consumer approach to church. If you are a sports fan like me, you know that the best you know that we can be the best fans ever when our team is winning and the worst critics ever when the season is going bad. And I think, I think the Jets, they all have critics. <laughs> They're always doing bad. I'm just saying what I'm hearing out there. <laughs> I don't understand. I, I'm saying my thing is soccer, but that's what I'm here. Anyway, I'm not offending anyone. It's just, it seems that, anyway. So if you ever play collective sports, or you do play, you know that things look differently. When you are inside the four lines, when you are outside, looks, when, you are, when you're playing, your vision will be narrow because you're playing. When you're up there on the stadium eating popcorn and drinking Pepsi, then you have the whole vision and then, oh, he could have done this, he could have done that. Why don't pass the ball for this, all of that, and then all that kind of thing. I want to tell you that when you think about the church, when you are part of the team, not just a member, but an actively active member in the church, when you are part of this team, when you are in the field, and you're not having an expectator approach, I can guarantee their attitude will change. Because you see the struggles, you see how, you see the, to be up there and see all things and criticize is much easier than be in the field and play hard and, and be part of the practices and prayer meetings and, and, and home groups and visit the sick and help the family who is struggling and invite the new believer to your home to, and have a dinner with him because you just want to encourage him or the one who just visited the church and you want to show God's love. And you're making time in your schedule to invite them to your home or to make coffee or to, to have some coffee with them. When you start involving in these things, you will see that things are not black and white. The church does not need expectators. The church needs active members who are engaged in the work of the Great Commission. As a church, you and I, we are called to actively engage in the work of discipling others, in preparing the next generation for what the Lord has called them to do. David understood that. We must understand this. As a body, we must work together in such a way that we make succeed, that the next generation will succeed. Regardless if you're not being able to build the the church and have your name on the room, right? Whatever. We want the next generation to succeed. By, day, by working diligently, the Lord David provided and he charged the leaders and the community to arise and work. Chapter 29 that I just read a few minutes ago. He challenged all of them. Said, my son, he will lead. He is the king chosen by God. But all of you 
Arise and work together. Arise and work. You and I, we do not know what will happen a year from now, a month from now, a week from now, or even tomorrow. But one thing we can be sure of, that the church of Jesus Christ will continue on, will continue to grow, and His kingdom will continue to grow as it has been since uh, Christ's ascension to heaven. And until His second coming. It is interesting that even though it was David's desire to build, to build a house for the Lord, it was the Lord who built a house for David. Just quickly, chapter 17, verse 11. This is Nathan sent by God and speaking to David. Chapter 17, verse 11. When your days are fulfilled to walk with your fathers... I will raise up your offspring after you, one of your own souls, and I will establish his kingdom. And he shall build a house for me, and I will establish the throne. Oh, I'm sorry, verse 10. In the time of your point, okay, verse, verse 10, just forget it. 10. I will subdue all your enemies. Moreover, I declare to you that the Lord will build you a house. This is Nathan speaking to David. Again, the second, the second half of verse 10. And I will subdue all your enemies. Moreover, I declare to you that the Lord will build you a house. What is the Lord is talking about here? He's talking about the future. It's like, I'm building a house in heaven, a place for you to be with me forever. He's not talking about a, a palace. He's talking about the future. The same is true for us. Well, while we are called to build God's kingdom on earth, it is He who already built a place for us in heaven. During His earthly ministry, Jesus encouraged, challenged, equipped, and, and prayed for His disciples. And now that he is in heaven next to the Father, what does he do for us? He intercedes on our behalf next to the Father. He continues in his intercessions for us. Leaders in, in, in church, we are called to die for ourselves, encourage, challenge, equip, and pray for each other and for the next generation. Remember, what we are building here as a church will not be destroyed by fire as Solomon's temple was, but will stand forever because it's not we who are building God's kingdom, but he through us. And I'm not talking about building in terms of walls and brick and mortar. We're talking about place in heaven. We're talking about his kingdom on earth, his gospel being preached, people being saved for the glory of Christ. Jesus promised that against his church, the gates of hell and the forces of evil will not prevail. Do we need more encouragement than this? Really? Do we need more encouragement than this? this the words of Jesus that the gates of hell and the forces of evil will not prevail against his church. 
Pastors, your legacy is your people. Disciple them. Leaders, deacons, this is your legacy right here. Disciple them. It's hard work, but it's worthy. It is worthy, and your ardors and hard work will be rewarded. Be reminded of this. It will be rewarded. Every tear will be remembered. Every prayer is being heard by God. Keep plowing. Invest in them. And you will succeed in your task. Church, if you are united, if you're working together along with your leaders, you will succeed in this work. You will succeed because you are Jesus' legacy. You, as a church, is Jesus' legacy. His redeemed, spirit-filled people. The legacy of kingdom-minded leaders also his people. Christianity is not an expectator religion, but an experiential and practical. It's not just knowledge, friends. It's work. We need to roll up our sleeves and work. And I'm sure there's a lot of work to do. Just ask your pastors in what ways you can serve. And I'm sure they will point to so many ways that you can serve in this church. Serve. Use the gifts that God has given you. And he will give you grace. Let us, as a people of God, arise and stir the gifts that God has given us and work with diligent hands for the good of others and for the glory of Christ. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are just thankful for Christ who redeemed us from our sins, who called us to inheritance in heaven, not because of works, but because of faith. He paid the price. He conquered death. And now he credits to us his righteousness as we place our faith in him. We work not because, Lord, we, we work for our salvation. No. We work because we, wanna, because we are saved and we want to glorify your name because you are worthy. You are worthy forevermore of our worship, of our hard work. And thank you, Lord, that you had sent your spirit to be with us, to empower us, to encourage us, to challenge us. Thank you, Lord, for brothers and sisters, Lord, who are engaged in this work and praying for our souls. We need each other. And thank you, Lord, that you had established this congregation, Lord. And I'm even thinking about my own congregation, Lord, that you may help us, Lord, to continue and to strive in discipling others, Lord, and help this church as well, Lord. You want to do the work that you had called us to do, for your glory, in your glory only. We pray these things in your name. Amen.